You are about to listen to a message from Dan Moeller, a personal friend and family member of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Dan has an intense passion to see the body of Christ walk in their identity, know the love that God has for them, and then properly show that love to everyone that they encounter. So prepare yourself to be inspired and motivated to be more like Jesus and to love like he loves to everyone that you encounter. Isn't it good? It's a fun weekend. It's already Sunday. Wow. Getting on a plane this afternoon. I'm like, I feel like I just got here. But we got a lot in, didn't we? We had a good straight through day. You scheduled right yesterday. We did good. And we got two times. We got this morning. And Sunday mornings, I'm usually pretty short and sweet. For, for one thing, it's a 9 and 11 service, so I have to be <laughs> in the first service. But even the second service, I'm, I'm good on Sunday. And here's my thought on Sunday mornings. Man, it's really a time the Bible says there's a reason we assemble ourselves together. And, and I talked on Friday night, and it came out of my heart really passionate, and I didn't want any of us to miss relationship. You know, the Bible says that, that we gather together for a reason, that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together for a reason, in order that we might stir one another in love and good works. So we're not here to qualify. We're not here to get a mark in a book. We're not here to say, hey, I go to Rock City. We're... We're here to be stirred up and look around the room and realize, man, I'm not the only one believing what I'm believing. I'm on a team. I'm in an army. I'm in a family. And God's up to something in my city. Now, now you aren't seeing what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing faces, right? Now, you'd be amazed that if you take all the faces and multiply the sphere of influence that every one of you has been given, that means the people that are around you on an everyday way. In this town of Corpus Christi, you'd be amazed how much ground... We have covered just by these faces right here. It's, it's amazing when you think about this. Like every one of us has a sphere of influence. The people you pass by, the people you come in contact with and all this, right? So I want to talk about that probably a little bit this morning. But the first thing that I, I want you to do is understand this. That Sunday morning, you can't let church attendance, this is not a correction. Don't take this hard. Be encouraged by this. You can't let Church attendance, the ministry you serve in, the pastoring, the leading of worship, you can't let anything take the place of knowing him. Christianity is not church attendance. Christianity is Christ-likeness. And if we don't pursue Christ-likeness, we don't even realize we're teaching the people around us that Christianity is church attendance and being a part of something instead of becoming something. You can take your children to church and not pursue Christ-likeness and just be the same as you've always been at home and say, hey, it's the way everybody is. And you don't even realize that you're teaching your children that going to church is what Christianity is instead of living Christ. It's living Christ. It's Christ-likeness. That's Christianity. And knowing him is what changes you. Being with him is where you're transformed. You don't have the ability to just change your attitudes. You don't have the ability to not get angry. You don't have the ability to not be jealous. You don't have the ability in and of yourself to not just be flesh. It's not until the spirit of God comes inside of you and you begin to yield to him and have relationship with him and get to know him that you become one with him and who he is is your expression. 
I'm just, I'm not being mean today. I am a friendly, loving guy. But I'm telling you, it's too easy to go to church and stay the same if we're not careful. Go to church and fight over where we're going to eat today and have an attitude in the car and be moody. It's not Jesus. It's not Christianity. Christianity is tender-hearted, loving and mercy and peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. It doesn't say the sons of God who are those who will walk around and just confess they're a son. It's those who make peace. We have to be careful that what God's doing in this hour just doesn't become a new language we embrace. Just talking, it doesn't make it happen. Giving yourself to him makes it happen. We got to be very, very careful because there's a lot of things God's doing. He's bringing revelation. There's a lot of phrases. I, I get emails a lot and people want to let me know they're listening. So they throw all the one-liners in the email and ha-ha and laugh out loud. And, and I'm like, God, don't let this become a language. Let it be a life that we live. It's possible in today's Christianity, man. You can have a Christian ringtone, screensaver, t-shirt, and music all day going and never connect with him and let those things make you a Christian instead of him that's in you, shining through you. This isn't a hard word. It's an encouraging word because why would you want anything less than what he paid for? Why would you want to just hold on and just kind of like, Serve the Lord from afar with a word and a church attendance and a service and a ministry. No, I want to walk in love. I want to become like him. I want my heart to have peace with him and peace with you. Man, and even if you live and act out of order, I want to see you through his eyes. And I want to let my love never change or fail because his never has. And I want to truly wake up and have the motive of loving you and never needing you so you can't disappoint me. And we can have this thing going forever. Yeah, because by the time I need you, man, I've just met this man, and I like him a lot. I do, man. I like you a lot. I like your, I just like looking at your face <laughs> into your eyes. It, you're just fun, and it's good because I can see you're alive. And you're not alive without cause. You, you're alive because of purpose. Yeah. yeah, and God's put something in you. We were driving from the airport, and he's talking, and he's like 100 mile an hour. He's just talking, and, and Amber's like, whoa. <laughs> and, and, and I said, I said, man, you really love your city. He said, I do. I said, it's obvious. I mean, he's taking interest in the history, and he knows. And we're just driving. He's going, and that, and this, and this, and and he's and he's excited about it. It's not like a tour guide thing. <laughs> like, if you look to the right, you will see. No, he's like, and Amber's such a good wife. She's like, eyes on the road. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> and he's just, and I said, man, you love your city. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. We have these relationships and we don't realize that sometimes we have hidden, hidden catches, hidden things, hidden strings. We, we, we say, I love you, but we, I love you if, because, when. So see, I just met you. So if it ever becomes to where I need you to be something in my life for me to be okay, then we've crossed a line into weirdness and it's not the kingdom. And all of a sudden I've set a new friend up to fail and disappoint me. 
and me to be hurt. Look, in a friendship, he doesn't owe me anything. He's called to live trustable before the Lord, but I put my trust in no man. So I can look at David and say, I love you. Why? Because love takes no account of record of the wrong done to it. Love loves, doesn't seek its own. I can't be a friend with him for me. I have to be a friend with him for love. You say, hey, have you talked to Sally lately? Oh, no, we, we just, well, we're kind of like, yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> I'm like, what? What do you mean, Sally? She's your best friend. Well, yeah, like used to be. We're just, we just, no, it's, it's just, I don't want to talk about it. And what you reveal in that instant is she was your friend for you. She wasn't your friend. You needed her. You didn't love her. Stop it. Don't even lie anymore about it. But I'm just hurt because I love her so much. No, stop. Stop. You use the word love. It's need. Replace it. Get it right. And she's not meeting your need anymore, so you're off. Well, I don't think I love you anymore. You never did. Stop. It was selfish. It was for you. And things changed and it didn't work anymore. Or you changed and you didn't see the value anymore because you didn't have the need anymore. Did you ever see this in life where somebody's together and it's just sloppy. They I love you, love you, yay. And then later, I don't love you at all. And they walk off. It's like nothing ever happened between them. And this person can't even eat, sleep, or live. You ever see that? A lot, huh? You know why? It was never love. It was a needs-driven, vacuum-driven thing. And they're trying to find fulfillment through one another, and there's only one you find fulfillment through. His name is King Jesus. That's why there's so much pain in relationships, because out of the need of our life, we're hooking up, not out of the fullness and the strength and the security and the healthy identity. You don't hook up because you're not getting any younger. You don't hook up because, well, I thought he'd be married by now. You don't hook up because, well, there's not a big selection around here. You hook up because of the fullness of God and you've got something to give. I don't even know what I wasn't even, I wasn't even nowhere near here. I was going somewhere else. You see what happens to me? You have no idea. I have no clue ever what I'm doing. So I don't even try to think about it because I know this will happen to me when I get up here. They say, what are you going to talk about? Sound guys come and say, do you have any scriptures? I say, I don't have a clue. (laughs) Huh? I don't even know what we're going to do. Huh? Well, you're going to preach in five minutes. I have no clue because if I think I know, I don't know. Come on. We don't want to be driven by need. Look, that sphere of influence I'm talking about. How can we touch that effectively if we still have so much need in our own lives? All of a sudden, you're carrying so much care, and your wife this, and your husband this, and all the kids, and man, I don't even know if my job's secure, and why is my truck messing up right now? Nothing's going right. And all of a sudden, you're carrying so much care, you don't even see your sphere of influence. And all of a sudden, you think all the promises and all the things, you got them tacked all over your refrigerator, and you're trying to make breakfast, quoting all them things like a machine, hoping your day goes better, and calling that faith. And then at the end of the day, you're wondering why half of those things or three-quarters of those things didn't work, and what you're doing wrong, and why you can't reach God, and is he mad at you, and what am I missing? 
And the more you live that way, the more self-conscious, self-focused, self-centered you become, slowly disappointed, and then you go to church and you're not even encouraged. And we sing joy, 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 and you say, what for? Or you sing it because it's your Christian thing, but your heart's not alive. Because in your sphere of influence, there's no impact. Because you're not shining. You're wondering, am I okay? Are you okay? What are we doing today? Are you all right? Oh, no, I won't. I don't. But thanks. I love that kind of green light. <laughs> he patted me on the leg. He said, now, you know, you don't hold back. He just, I said, oh, good. Thanks. Okay. I said, I mean, I've been jerking on the chain, just hoping it breaks. Get me off the leash. You know? <laughs> yeah, once you get off the leash, man, you don't get back on the leash. <laughs> no, I love you guys. I didn't come here to spank anybody. I didn't fly to Corpus Christi to set you straight, to tell you who you are and this great privilege that we have through the finished work of Christ. The Spirit of God wants to live inside of us, change the way we think, the motives we live by, our reason for being. Guys, it's called new life. Through Jesus Christ. It's called born again. As if I never lived before. So everything that came with this package dies. New package. New way of thinking. New motivation. New life. Why do we just think it's heaven? Why do we think it's our name in a book? No. It's everything he is coming in you. So you become that. And the world notices him. Yeah. It's you actually believing it's possible to live and never be discouraged because it's not about you. It's about him in you. So as precious as you are to the kingdom, it's about him in you that makes that value so great. What he paid for and what he purchased on the cross. See, it's not that he just has this strange ability to love you and like get over you and forget about your grossness. Come on. See, because as a kid, I never understood this because everybody said he loves you. He died on the cross because you're a sinner. He loves you. He died on the cross. And I'm like, why does he love me? I'm a sinner. So the love of God was always a mystery, the way the gospel was preached in my life. That's a problem because you can't love God first. You see he first loved you. So if you can't see his love and you have more questions than answers, how can your heart ever respond back in love? So if you don't see the love of God, you get reduced to serving him, not knowing him. And now you feel indebted to him because of the way the message is preached, and now you try to do him right. And the whole time you feel like you're doing him wrong and you live half condemned, but you're still in church, praise the Lord. Come on, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it straight. You know what I'm talking about. Look, it's not that God doesn't care where you've been and what you've done. He's like, oh, whatever. I just love you anyway, sweetie. That is not the love we're talking about. The love we're talking about is on your darkest, willful, most rebellious day. He looks at you and says, I know who you are from the beginning, what you're created to be, your destiny, your purpose, and your value. That is not who you are. You don't know it, but I know it, and I love you, and my love will never fail. So I'm going to pay the price to redeem 
what you look like in me and what I look like in you. And I love your purpose. I love your potential. I love your destiny. I'm going to pull you out of darkness into the light, out of the world, and into mine. I love you. Yeah, that's the gospel. I'm starting to get free. I'm feeling it. Finally. Oh. And you guys can take this. Come on. Not be mean. Look, it is not cool. You, you, everything got perverted when man sinned and we got born into the perversion. God made man to love. Man was born into needing love. You and I all needed love so bad. Just need somebody to love me. Why else would you go looking for love in all the wrong places? What are you looking for love for? Because you need it. Everybody needs to feel valued. Everybody needs to be accepted. It's only through Jesus. Stop looking anywhere else. Anywhere else is B, C, D, E, F, G. You can only know who you are through him because nothing was made that wasn't made through him. And he's there from the beginning. And in the beginning, Samuel, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So what did he pay the price to restore? The image. Why are you on the earth? His image. If you live life apart from pursuing his image, you live life apart from grace because he doesn't empower what you're not created for. That's why life seems so tough for many Christians because they've been taught they're a Christian for their sake, for blessings, provisions, full vats, barns. Remind God of his promise. Keep him at his word. Make sure he blesses you. I don't even know what we're preaching. So you got tons of disappointed, wondering people that attend church every week. That have more of a contract of business with God. A genie in a bottle. An abracadabra. Than a father. You guys alright? I hope so. Because I'm preaching the gospel right now. I am. It's because you gave me a mic in your church. I will preach the gospel if you give me a mic. <laughs> I talk to pastors on the phone. They say, well, listen, man, I need to know what it's going to cost to bring in. I said, what do you talk about cost? Just the time it asked to invite me, and you already did that, and I'm coming. So I'll get my plane ticket. I do it all the time. I get my own plane ticket because I'm coming. I'm not asking for anything. If you never hand me an envelope, I won't even blink because I'm not coming for an honorarium. And they're like, what? I said, well, that's not. I'm coming for the kingdom. I'm coming for your family. I said, listen, there's no way. I can be failed in any expectation this weekend, except one. If you hand me a mic, if I wouldn't preach the kingdom, that would be a problem. But if you hand me a mic, it ain't going to happen. So we're good. I'll see you in October. That's how I talk to folks a lot of times. Because it's like church season becomes a business deal. And we carry secular right into our spiritual lives. And all of a sudden, well, what's it going to cost? Yeah, but you have expenses. I come on Jesus' dime. He has the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He'll get me here if he wants me here. I don't need you to pay my bills next month. Let's stop all that. I didn't fly here so you feed me next month. 
I flew here because you're worth the blood of Christ and you have a destiny. And I believe that and I feel like it's important to tell you that. So we stop fighting, stop judging, stop getting disappointed. Never get caught doing the Jesus thing and not doing the Jesus thing. Did you get that? Doing the Jesus thing and not doing the Jesus thing. Because the Jesus thing is loving one another. Not being mad at one another, judging one another. See, the perversion is this. You're created for love and you need love. Love lays down its life for another. We live at the expense of others. We've done it all our lives at some level. You say, well, I don't live at the expense of anyone. Listen, young people, that whatever thing, whatever. You just, you just, whatever. And you just walk in your bedroom and close your door on your parents and on your siblings. And you just sit in your room for two hours and they say, hey, and you don't even answer them. You're living at the expense of your whole family. You're proving you don't know Jesus like we sing. It's impossible to live that way and absolutely know him. So it's time to grow up into him in all things and not be condemned and judged by what I'm saying, but be increased. And not let this stuff continue because it damages our lives. Because here's what you're doing. You're putting your family in a position where you're demanding them to respond to your attitude. It's called control and manipulation. And you don't realize it. It's not evil. It's not wicked. And it's not even intended. You just think it's normal. And it's okay for somebody to fly in that's going to fly out later today. (laughs) And just talk about this stuff. It is not cool. To put your family in. Spouses. Just the silent treatment. Come on. Don't give yourself away and chuckle too loud. But that silent treatment thing. You're just discouraged, disgruntled, and frustrated with your spouse. So you just want to make sure you let them know with body language. See, I would encourage you to get your eyes off of what's bothering you for a minute. And wonder why you're so bothered. And what Jesus can do in your life to help you see them different. Instead of just saying, well, my spouse needs to change. Now, that's a sure sign that you need to get it too. Because God's not sitting there frustrated with you saying, well, I wish he'd get a grip. Well, I wish he would just, well, he just, man, Jesus, why did we die for him? Did we say for all or is his name excluded? (laughs) No, we said for all, Lord. We said for all. Now, Father, come on. Do I need to pray for you? That's not happening in heaven. Why is it happening here? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is that always the power of God? Why isn't it the heart of God? Why is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven always cancer? There's no cancer in heaven. There's no cancer on earth. Cancer go and they die anyway. Why? Because we're missing the heart of God a lot of times. Be real with me. I know that sounds harsh and stark, but be sober this morning and hear what I'm crying out. This thing is not a principle we're applying. It's a life we become. And if you don't pursue that life, you'll reduce this book to a book of principles and promises that we're applying in times of despair, desperation, fear, and need, and hoping it works. And when it doesn't work, trouble. This is not a book of principles. It's an introduction into everlasting covenant and relationship and unfailing love of God. Where who he is becomes who we are, and we are the body of Christ. Come on, people. That is just a clear and humble message. So here's the deal. I'm not talking in riddles, and you have to hear what I'm saying. So you either want it or you don't. That's why there's judgment. That's why we answer for our lives. Because you either want it 
or you don't. You either want to hold on to what you became through Adam and covet the rights you received through sin, selfishness, self-defense, self-protection, self-justification. If any man come after me, deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. We've reduced it to a prayer that takes you to heaven and benefits you and blesses you and gives you life and promises to give you more money and a better job and the perfect spouse. I'm not sure what we're thinking. God never preached the gospel that way through Jesus. He said, if any man comes with you, all are invited. There's the first thing you got to do is deny yourself. Why? It's the biggest problem on the planet. Men living for men and not the image of God. See, so your spouse is never your problem. It's you living for you. And even if your spouse is way out of order and doing, there's times you need to set that straight, pull away, get a, get a vision for restoration, but please don't let your heart die because God's heart never died towards you. Be real with me. There's a boldness in that day of judgment, 1 John 4. Man, I read my Bible. It's way too late for me to debate with anybody. I've read the book. And better yet, I've been alone with him many times. And he's given me the great honor of living everything I cry out to you. That's why there's so much passion in me. Because it's not my theology. It's not my seminary degree. I've never been to one. I know where I have been when you weren't looking. <laughs> and no one can take that from me. <laughs> I've been with him, Ryan. And we got a thing going on. <laughs> and he speaks to you in the secret. And you shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, I feel funny right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know why I'm like this? And every time you ever see me, I'll be like this. I could be worse, but I'll be at least like this. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because I don't have any issues. I have the kingdom. And I didn't wake up for how you could fail me, what you can do for me, and how I need you. I woke up so secure this morning, it's ridiculous. It makes me cry when I'm alone. And I feel like I must be the most blessed man on the planet, but I know it's for all of us, so I don't want to get weird with that. But I, I am free from me needing you, so I'm finally able to love you and be sincere and be upright in my relationships with you. And you have no ability. It's impossible for you to break my heart or hurt me because my stock isn't in you. It's in him so I can love you. And I want you to live trustable. But I don't put my trust in you. It's in him so I can see you clear always. So if you do something that's called trust breaking, why would I get angry at you? Why wouldn't I hurt for you? Because it reveals that there's something you still need to see and grow in. Why wouldn't I have mercy? Why would I get mad? Why would I go to my room? See, I'm the wrong kind of person. If you don't want change in your life, I'm the wrong kind of person to do wrong if you don't want change. Because when I go in the bedroom and your name comes to my heart and I go to pray, the tears won't be because I'm hurt by you. The tears will be because I'm hurting for you. Because if you knew who you were, you wouldn't be living that way. So it's a sure dead giveaway sign that you don't know him. And that matters to me. And I would weep for you from the right place. 
And heaven will hear my voice and Holy Spirit will come. Why? Not to knock you off your horse and set you straight. Because he loves you. And all of a sudden I represent his heart back to him from the earth. And I represent his love back to him through the mediation of the blood of Jesus, which is speaking better things over your life. And even though you're guilty, he hears the words of Jesus and the words of Stephen and now the words of Dan. And he has mercy on men. <laughs> oh, that's just good. That sure beats. God, I can't believe you let them do that to me. You know how that hurts my heart. And God, they've been doing it again and again. They need to change. You need to knock them off their horse and stop them now. God, I wish you'd come in just. And now you're reading all these Psalms of David. Cut their heads off. Chop their arms. Beat them up. Pluck out their eye. Get them, God. Because I got a covenant with you. Wreck them. How's that prayer working for you? <laughs> Because you know what happens then? Then you leave the prayer closet and you watch their life even more to see if your prayers are working and you realize they're not. And then you get frustrated and you go back and now your whole life's driven by where they're not. Wow. And all of a sudden what they don't see is determining what you do see. And all of a sudden you're being fashioned by the thing you're loathing instead of fashioned by the one that loves you. And ten years later you hear their name and your blood's still, uh, and your heart's still, uh, and all of a sudden you don't even realize you've been being you're a masterpiece of their actions. Ten years later, they're still sculpting you. And you're still a product of what you say you despise. You think you're cutting them off and you're winning. No, you're becoming the very thing. That's why unforgiveness is so wretched in the kingdom. Because it keeps offense alive. Forgiveness is so powerful. Because it makes it as if nothing ever happened. So why don't we become to others what we so rejoice in from him? Don't you ever let this house, ever anyone in this house, this house won't. If you're a part of this house, don't let anyone in this house ever slip into the, the crazy thought that you're going to receive everything that God's done for you and not become the very thing to men. The whole point isn't being loved by God. The whole point is becoming the love of God. Being loved by God is the first step. Becoming that love is the point. Well, God loves me. Well, I don't care what people think. I know God loves me. I don't need people. I just got him. Nope. You're on a delusional island by yourself. And you're hiding behind your words. Because scripturally, it's absolutely impossible to have this. And not have this. Impossible. First John 4. You want to look there with me quick? Come on. This is an encouraged message. Don't look so serious. Like, Yay, Dan. You're bringing life. Thank you. You know why? This is a family meeting. And I'm stirring you in love and good works. It's my place as a minister, as a pastor. If I'm going to preach the gospel, I want to empower you to be everything he's paid for you to be. Right? Is it wrong to believe for a new job? Is it wrong to pray for blessings? Absolutely not. But it's right to become like Christ. I've learned this. That if you seek him first in his kingdom. Everything you need to fulfill what he's called you to will always be there. I, I don't say this with cameras running too much. 
because it freaks people out and people tend to hear in a wrong ear and they get condemned or something. Please, if you get condemned, you're believing lies. You should be encouraged by everything you hear and challenged. And if it doesn't fit your life, go, hmm, and look at that and grow if necessary. Don't just go, man, that's like, wow, well, I'm a million miles from. I'm serious. People are like, brother, you stepped on my toes. I did not come to step on your toes. I came to speak into your heart. <laughs> I mean, stepping in your toes, what does that accomplish? <laughs> I wrestled with God. I got a limp. Well, stop wrestling. Submit. <laughs> we get weird with some of this stuff. Let me do this. I got to watch time. Wow. I got time. A little bit. First John 4. Do you ever hear the little children's church song? We think it's a children's church song, but it's a body of Christ song. You might not ever heard it. I heard it when I was a little kid. Beloved, let us love one another. You never sang it down here in Corpus Christi? For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not. Knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Never heard that? Watch this. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. And knoweth God. He who loveth not just doesn't know God. Wow. It's not my sermon. It's Bible. He says, if you don't walk in love, there's one reason. You don't know him. He doesn't say you don't respect him. You don't see your need for a savior. You don't believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But you can't know him and not love. And you can't not love and know him. So the measuring stick and barometer of knowing God is your love. So the goal of our commandment and the goal of the instruction and the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, a clear conscience, and an unfeigned faith, sincere childlike faith. Isn't that amazing? It's 1 Timothy 1.5. The purpose of the commandment is love through a pure heart, pure in heart shall see God, Clear conscience, shipwreck your conscience, or violate your conscience, shipwreck your faith. They all hinge together. Pure heart, clear conscience, childlike faith. You let one motive slant in you that you're aware of because you know you. It makes your conscience fuzzy and makes your faith shaky. And that's why people don't get alone with him because they feel veiled, not unveiled. And it's only when you get alone with him that you get to know him. You will never get to know him through corporate worship. You can meet him in corporate worship. You can feel him in corporate worship. He can bump into you and brush against you in corporate worship. But you will never get to know him in corporate worship. He says if the only time you do those things is when everybody's doing those things and do it in front of men, you have your reward in full already. The most you can get in that moment is the most you'll ever get. But when you pray, you could, you could without manipulating the word, when you seek him, when you pray, when you worship, 
people away in secret. Is there a place for corporate worship? Yes. Is there a place for corporate prayer? Of course. But if that's the only time you do it, you have your reward in full already. When you pray, get alone in the secret. Where nobody knows you're there. And he who is in secret will see you there, Nathan. He'll reward you openly. So Nathan goes in. Seek him in the secret. He sees him there. Nathan comes out. Rewards him in the open. What's the deal? All of a sudden, what he's seeking, he's becoming. He's seeking in the secret. Him who is seeing him in secret is revealing himself in the open. And all of a sudden, you look at Nathan and go, man, what's going on in you? Man, I remember when, and now I haven't, and you're just, wow, man, God, whoa. Nathan's going, yeah. He's, and you say, what are you doing? What's changing your life? You, you don't have an answer because you're just being with him. So he didn't bite his lip. He's not following a New Year's resolution. He's not, well, I decided I'm not getting angry anymore. <laughs> wow, we'd have to give him a trophy in that day. <laughs> Probably give him a shirt with SC on a cape, super Christian. <laughs> and we'd all be worshiping the Lord and casting our crowns. And then here'd come Nathan. <laughs> we'd say, and he is about number two major Christian. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not by works least any man could boast. It's grace through faith. So you get along with God and you say, wow, Father, you didn't make me to be angry. You didn't make me to be frustrated. You didn't make me to be discouraged, to project, to judge, to pursue. You don't run everything through me. I don't have to approve of everything in the room. You made me to be like you. You made me to love. You made me to see the best and believe the best. God, you made me for your image. Watch, nobody's in the room. I told you Friday, you're either one of two things, out of your mind and need to get a life and a hobby, or Jesus is there making a difference. I'm going with the second. You decide. I'm either the most deceived man you've ever met in your life, or I'm free. I got all my chips on free, but one day we'll see. But I'm going with free, because I live with me. <laughs> you don't. You just see me on the weekend, but I live with me. And you know what? I like me. <laughs> and it's not even weird. I hung out with me all day yesterday, slept with me last night, got up, looked in the mirror, and it was still me. And I'm like, dude. Mm. <laughs> yeah? Why? It's not arrogant. It's not vain. It's not a People Magazine thing. It's, it's not a who's who thing. Yeah. I'm sorry if I slammed People Magazine. Forgive me. Maybe I'm not. Uh, Maybe I am. I don't know. It wasn't my intent. It's just that it's straight up secular. It's just vanity. It's just who's who. It's not about who's who. It's about you looking in the mirror and seeing who you're created to be and beginning to love what you see and not seeing your failures and not seeing who touched you wrong and not seeing the past and be able to look right in the eyes, the window of your soul, right into your eyeballs and not even shudder or look away and absolutely begin to respect and honor and love what he's doing inside of you because your conscience is clear and you steward your heart and you sleep at night because you're clear. Yeah? Yeah? Because inside, you know you're not doing anybody wrong. Inside, you know you're dealing with your convictions. Inside, you're not condemned. You're not guilty. You're not ashamed. And even though you're not living perfect, you got a grip on some things, and you're growing in some things, and your faith is before the Lord, and grace is changing you. Yeah? 
And you look in that mirror and you go, you don't look in that mirror and go, oh, ugh. You look in that mirror and go, hair's all bent up, still got the stuff around your mouth from sleeping. You didn't even clean up. You had a little bit of sand in your eye. And you look in that mirror and you go, hey, man, you're looking good. I'll tell you what, sir. I do this to myself in the mirror. Not so much anymore because I so believe it. But in the beginning, I did it a lot. I'd be brushing my teeth. Dude, you're amazing. I'm telling you, when I look in your eyes, I can see you've received righteousness. You know who you're becoming. In fact, I can see confidence in you. When I look in your eyes, I can see that you understand he's given you everything and you're receiving it. That's amazing. You know that God sees you as if you've never sinned and he is loved or loves you and he is honored to call you son. Man, dude, you keep living that way. You keep believing that because I can see you growing. <laughs> if you fist bump the mirror, it'll never play you. It'll never, it'll just bump right back. <laughs> so then you got to run somewhere. You're heading out. Your schedule gets a little busy and you get a little, and you can get a little test. And you see, well, I got a lot on my plate. And there's a language that sells us out. You got to challenge all that stuff with intimacy and relationship because that's what will change the way we think is normal. Well, yeah, brother, I mean, but you don't know what the week's been like. Stop. Tell Jesus that when they're thronging him every day. Well, I didn't sleep that good last night. Tell Jesus that when he stayed up all night and prayed for you. Just stop. That's the earth talking, not the spirit. I'll tell you what changes it. You're getting dressed. You got a busy day at work. You got a heavy schedule and you're hustling and you're actually, wow, I'm on time, but I'm cutting it close, but I'm better than I've been. Wow. And you're going out the house and you stop and there's that full length mirror we almost all have somewhere. And you pass that thing and you go, whoa, are you kidding me? Sir, you're an expression of righteousness. I see God's love in your eyes. Sir, I'm telling you, it's amazing. How you're revealing Christ in your life. I looked at you and I could see that you know you're a man of God. In fact, I can tell that you see without arrogance the spirit of God's in you. have a confidence before him. You believe him, don't you? Dude, that's amazing. I don't even know why you're standing here. The world needs what I see in you. You go tear it up and have a great day. <laughs> it sure beats, beats issues and traffic on 634 and oh yeah. Yeah, I'm on you, little ain't I? This is fun. <laughs> See, because you know what's fun for me? You can't not hear what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I'm not talking deep, and I'm not talking in parables. I'm like a little kid. And it's so simple, but it's so profound and life-changing if we apply it. And it would have to be God. Simple but profound. Only God could do that. We think simple is simpleton or... No, Paul said, I'm concerned for you, O Corinthians, like Eve was deceived by the serpent, so you have been removed from the simplicity that's in Christ. I'm not against the prophetic. Don't hear that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You can get so caught up pursuing the prophetic, the gifts, the words of knowledge, the doctrines of God, that you miss the simple life change and transformation of the finished work of Christ for the Christian life. And all of a sudden, you're identifying with how God's speaking through you instead of how he's loving through you. 
I've seen ministers get very hard, very judgmental. Some people in my life I've met that know the word way more than me and could just quote that thing like bam, bam, have been some of the meanest people I've ever met. And they've allowed their knowledge to puff them up when love edifies. And they find their identity through their time spent in the Bible instead of their time spent with him. He said, you study the scriptures. You're searching. You're looking for life. And you never come to me. It's in me. You have life. Jesus says some amazing things. He said, how can you believe you who receive honor from one another? You need to be honored by each other. How will you ever believe you only do as good as they're honoring you? They're all limitations. You study the scriptures in order that you might have life, but you fail to come to me, and I'm the very one the scriptures bear witness of. And this is eternal life, that you may know him. The Father and his only Son, Jesus Christ. Am I preaching scripture to you? <laughs> it's like a puzzle that comes together. And all of a sudden you got this amazing picture that's always been there. And we've heard so many other things preached and there's so many circles out there and I don't believe that we realize because of our motives and so many things, we've been deceived and entreated other voices and other things. Watch this. If you were the enemy and everything followed the believer, what would you attack the most? What Christians believe. That's why we haven't been able to get along because we're buying into that lie instead of seeking him alone. And I promise you, if you'd throw away any agenda and you'd stop trying to support your heritage, your upbringing, your child vacation Bible school and the teacher you respected, just push it all aside, go into a room, open a Bible and say, Lord Jesus, I come here as empty, as sincere and as humble as I know how to be. Teach me, show me who you are. I've got to know you. You'd be amazed how people would begin to grow in the same things, where it's not just their ministry, their vision, their dream. Guys, there was a time I was pleading with God to send me to the mission field. I was by my bed praying to go to a third world country, and I don't care about the food or nothing. I'm not afraid. Your covenant will keep me, God. Put it in the heart of my family, and let's go save a nation. I'll lay down my life for the hungry. He said, you will? I said, yeah. So you'll lay your life down for the hungry. I'll go, yeah. He said, my, life, my son gave his life for those who despised and rejected him. He said, you get the heart of my son, and we'll talk about it. And I began to cry, and here's what he said. Dan, the only reason you're asking me to go to the mission field is because you're discouraged with the people you're pastoring, and you don't believe they appreciate what I've done. And he said, your discouragement is motivating your desire. It has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. The passion you feel to go to the mission field is because you're running for what you can't get an answer to, and then you'll go there. And the problem is if you go there, I'll still move because I love people and my word's true, but it'll be at the cost of your own heart because every time I move, you'll look over your shoulder and despise where you came from and said, see, he couldn't do that there because of da, 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 da. God is such a father. 
He said, the only reason you're pursuing this in ministry is because you're discouraged here. You're running from this to this as an answer, and none of it is me. How many churches have started because they couldn't get along, because they're mad, because they're hurt, and then they say, well, I got a vision. Well, this, And then they start the new church, the whatever church, the whatever church, and it's all a projection on everything else that everybody's doing. You got to get called into something. You got to know it was God. I heard David's story and I was blessed and refreshed. Not that I'm judging or feeling him out. It was just clean and simple and pure. And he didn't even see it coming and it wasn't something he was. And all of a sudden he's here. And I just like it. I was asked to pastor three times. I said, No, I'm not a pastor. I'm a warehouse worker in love with Jesus. And they said, No, no, no. God's moving. I said, Look, just because God's moving through me doesn't mean I'm a pastor. God moves through his people. I'm a believer. They're like, no, you're a pastor. No, I'm a believer. (laughs) My pastor said, did you ever pray about this? I said, I haven't even thought about it. I wasn't looking for ministry. I wasn't trying to find the big day when my ship came in and someone called me pastor. (sighs) Say it again, Ron. Say it. Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan. Oh, that is so twisted. Most healthy thing I could have ever done was say no and be fulfilled in Christ so that when I stepped into pastoring, it had nothing to do with my identity. I was already fulfilled. That's just good. You know that. You've been around, my friend. That's solid stuff. (laughs) And then... Eight years later, something was shifting. I didn't know what because I love people. I've pastored and something shifted. My pastor sits me down and says, Dan, I think you need to accept something and understand something. I know you carry yourself in humility. And I know because I can walk around and say I'm a son all day and be bold about it. But I've never walked around and said, I'm a gift to the body of Christ. That would feel weird. My pastor said, You have to realize you've been made a gift to the people of God. And he doesn't want you restrained or confined to one group of people. He wants you abroad. And he wants you pouring into his house. And I just started bawling. And God was touching my heart. Because it was like I needed to hear. And he gave me grace to hear it. Because I was like, ah. And I cried. And he said, and I said, well, how's that going to happen, Pastor? I vowed that I would never travel. I don't even have a good impression of itinerant ministry. It looks like a business to me. Because I was a pastor. People calling all the time. We're in town. We'd love to have time in your pulpit. We have a great message. We'll send you a DVD. And I'm like, really? I asked one man. I said, it sounds like you're scheduling, redeeming time and travel, saving money, and there's always an honorarium involved. It sounds like a business. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Preacher, you have a wife and children? I have a wife and two children. That's me exactly, sir. He said, well, you know as well as I do, we have bills and everybody needs to eat. I said, well, then drive a truck, work in a warehouse, build a house, put on a roof. And he went, click. (laughs) And in my young heart, in the Lord, I said, hmm. And I judged itinerant ministry and vowed I'd never do it. And couldn't see the purpose of it because it looked like a career to me. It looked like men making a living off their gifting and promoting themselves. So I said to my pastor, how's this ever going to happen? Because I'm not going to knock on the door to preach. I'm not going to write a bio and send it around the world. And 
write down my references and try to find somebody important that maybe has connections. Oh, I'm talking now. I said, I ain't doing that. He said, you won't have to. He said, a few real years from now, you'll have more invites than you'll know what to do with. And I burst out and laughed like Sarah laughed. <laughs> Sarah, going to get pregnant, right? And what'd she do? <laughs> yeah. And her laugh wasn't happy and good. It was cynical. When my own pastor said that, I burst out and laughed like Sarah laughed. And I learned something. Sarah laughed and still got pregnant. For the last three years, I've had no less than 400 invites a year to America, over 100 overseas per year for the last three years. I've never promoted one thing, never put myself on the internet. I'm a thousand hours plus on YouTube, and I don't even know who posts that stuff. I don't even own a computer. <laughs> this year, I'm already past that many invites. It's unbelievable. God's doing. Look, I'm not being weird with this. 400 invites, if you do one week at a time, is eight years. I get that every year. I know people that try to fill blanks and fill schedules and make phone calls of past relationships hoping there's opening. I've never asked for anything. You don't want to either. You just want to know him. You just want to know him. You just want to get established and rooted and grounded in him and, and become unshakable and unchangeable like him. And all of a sudden, he goes boom, boom, bam, boom. So I walked in the bedroom and said, Lord, I was going to say, Lord, this pastoring thing, am I supposed to even think about this? He's so gracious to me. I opened my bedroom door because in that season, I would keep it closed because it was fun for me. Because <laughs> I was, when I'd go in to pray, I'd keep it closed. I'd never close my bedroom, but I, would, I did when I got saved. Because I'd open it up and I'd go, say, hey, I close up. I'm here. <laughs> and theologically, I knew he was in me. And I knew he's always with me, never leaving me, forsake me. But it was so intimate and so powerful. And within a week, I could hardly make it to my bed. Because he would just say, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> if I be besides myself, it's for God. But if I'm of sound mind, it's for you. I'm here to communicate, not manifest. <laughs> but you haven't even seen me yet. <laughs> and they never will. Because <laughs> you don't just bring out your intimacy and post it on the board. But I started to learn to just open the door and slip in. And I'm a guy, guys, talking like this. It's cool. We've been trained to be something we're not created to be. Tough and macho and wear and reserve. And hit. Now you probably ought to be with him and let him make you like you intended. Because I'd close that door and say, hey, I'm here. It's us. It's so good to see you. I love you in his presence. See? See, his presence is right there. And it's not that I have to feel him, it's that I believe him. I go into the room because I believe him, because I believe him. He gives me a stewardship of knowing and presence and awareness, and it's fun. And I don't live by the feeling, I live by knowing him. So if he'd pull that away and he would feel a million miles away, he's still right here, and I know it. Yeah? 
So I went in the room and I said, Lord, what's this about pastoring in my heart? And I never got a word out. He just, boom. He said, Dan, I want you to do this. This whole travel thing. I responded. I started to do it. I positioned myself for it. Boom. He did it all. You never want to push into ministry. You never want to say, well, I have a vision to be a youth pastor. I, I, I don't know why I didn't get a youth pastor position. Now I've submitted all over Texas and nobody. And I know God told me I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. You've got to stop pushing for the position. If you're a youth pastor, start investing in youth. Start pouring your life into youth. And don't expect to get a resume answered if you don't always already have a whole bunch of youth you've poured into. Because if you're a youth pastor, then you're pastoring youth. Whether you have a position, a salary or not, your heart is for the youth. You don't wait to be a pastor. You pastor people. You pour into people. You take interest in people. See, it has to be who you are, not what you do, or it'll never work. That's why there's discouraged people leading services today. Uh, I got to stop. Listen, are you guys all right? Here's the bottom line. Your lives are so valuable, it's ridiculous, that Jesus believes that your life is worth his life, his blood. That he got beat beyond a description so he could put his spirit inside of you and get your identity back. He got, he got hammered. The passion wasn't the half, the passion movie. I say every Christian ought to watch it and stop saying it's too gory. Are you kidding me? It's real. And it's not the half. When you watch The Passion, it's hard to even comprehend. And they got those guys sadistically just enjoying flogging him. And they got them spikes and them things just ripping meat, man. Don't think it wasn't like that and worse. Because he was marred more than anyone ever was marred, Isaiah 52. That's how much he loves you. And you better understand that he didn't do that because you're a sinner. He did that because you're created to be his with a destiny. He paid that price to restore the truth about you, not just forgive you. That's what makes love so amazing. And now that I see that, I have no other response but, I love you. Why? Because you see his first love. So here's the confidence and the boldness we have in him. Or that we know we've been made complete in love. That we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, the whole chapter, he's love, he's love, he's love. As he is, so are we in the world. So the sphere of influence thing, I got one or two minutes, I'm taking them all. So thanks, I'll be done. Two minutes. The sphere of influence thing, watch this. Every day in your life, you wake up and rejoice in him. Learn how to never complain again. Get a grip on that stuff. Don't live fleshy. Learn how to never feel sorry for yourself again. Make sure you make it all about him in you and a new reason for being. And every day you wake up, you say, you know what? Life is a gift and I'm alive in you. I used to complain about my job, but you know what? I'm going to start valuing my job, my boss, my coworkers. No matter how they act or how they treat me, my life's fulfilled in you. I'm done being hard on my spouse, playing games in my family. I'm laying down my life. Be a blessing. Don't put pressure on folks. Be a blessing. Don't demand people to make a response to you. Be a blessing. Are you hearing me? Because if there's weakness to find, we'll find it living that way. But why don't we bring out the best in everyone by becoming the best in him?
So this sphere of influence I'm talking about, if every one of us starts living this way at some level, listen, if half of you just move in half of what I'm talking about, it'll make a difference. And people all around this community won't just have to see an advertisement for Rock City Church. They will experience Jesus through you, and you might not even mention where you go to church because that's not the point. The point is that they get to know him. Are you with me? Stand to your feet real quick, and I'll let pastor dismiss you. We got to dismiss. I want to pray over you real quick. Father, I just thank you for this house. I thank you that you take this word, and you bring much, 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 much fruit. Yeah, you're the one that brings forth, and you're allowing us to bring forth. Let it multiply. Let it increase in this city, in this town, and across this state. Father, we thank you. If you're serious about the message, and you're serious about just becoming love, just as a sign of faith, I'm not even opening my eyes, lift your hands with me to heaven as a sign of saying, God, I yield to you. I'm clay in your hands. Make me the masterpiece you've designed me to be. I'm going to start communing with you. I'm an unveiled face. I'm not ashamed. I know my life hasn't even been perfect, but I, I'm growing, and I'm moving forward, and I'm coming to you. I'm not naked and ashamed. You've clothed me. You've robed me, and I'm coming to you. And I'm going to begin to let you father me like never before. I'm going to look in the mirror and talk to my soul. I'm going to let you, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Because I want my sphere of influence to matter. And one day I want to stand before you and look into your fiery eyes of liquid love. And I want one phrase coming from you. Man, you did good. And I'm excited. Come on in and rejoice. Father, we just thank you for the grace in Jesus' name. Now, I know this sounds quick and almost religious, but it's not. I don't believe I have that in me. If you're sick in this, in this room, in your body, grab the hand of somebody next to you. If you have sickness in your body, just be bold, reach over. I don't care if you're visiting, friend. If you're sick in any way, grab the hand of the person beside you and squeeze it right now, please. The person that got the hand grabbed, you're not sick. They grabbed your hand. You just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Sickness, you leave. Father, I thank you for healing all through this room. I thank you. It matters. I thank you. You bring change. I thank you. They'll see this isn't a five-minute or five-second little pop at the end of the service that looks religious. God, make a difference. In Jesus' name, be whole. Healing all through this room. Bodies change. Yeah. Souls come alive in truth. Spirits be well and healthy and whole. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. You have been listening to an audio message from Dan Moeller presented at Rock City Church in the beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. Please visit us whenever you're in town. And our prayer is that you'll continue to be inspired and wind-driven in all that you do. Stay fired up!